Hello, Tatiana. How are you? I'm thank you. How are you? Yeah, good, good, good. We'll pretend we didn't have a private chat earlier just to say how everything is. But um, yeah, we were supposed to have this chat on Thursday, um, but you had your corona injection. Yeah, I had my vaccination. Well, my first dose, I did. Okay, and you are, you're half my age. How did you get that? And I didn't. <laughs> well, it's not what you know, it's who you know. No, no, no. On, um, on that, I, I actually, I didn't realize I was on the priority list. I, um, I have celiac disease, which is an autoimmune disease, which makes me, um, which means I can't eat gluten. And, um, and it's, um, I got a text message from my surgery to say, you know, you're being invited for your vaccine. And I told my friend and she said, oh, this must be one of the scam messages that people are receiving. So I called my surgery up and um, I said, is this a scam? And she said, no. And I said, right. I said, but why am I getting called so early? And she goes, because you have an underlying health condition. I said, I do. She said, don't you? And I thought, what, my celiac disease? And she goes, yes, that makes you high risk. I was like, right. Okay. And you were planning to tell me when? <laughs> the, the, wow. It's risk because you're, if you have celiac disease, you may have spleen damage. Um, depending on how severe your celiac disease is, there could be um, there could be parts of your um, of your smaller intestine, and your lower intestine. I might get this wrong. Um, that's been slightly shredded, so you have to be very. So that's what makes you, um, I guess, high risk. Wow. Okay. All right. So, I mean, yeah, uh, a detailed medical explanation for that. But uh, for a start, OK, which vaccination was it? And secondly, um, how did you feel thereafter? So I had the AstraZeneca vaccine. <laughs> I hope you had lots of alcohol as a blood thinner. <laughs> no, they did ask me, are you on thinners? I was like, no. Um, I So I had the Astra vaccine. It was all fine. And in fact, no queuing, no nothing. You just walk into the surgery, you give your name out, there you go, and then you get your vaccine and you're out. Um, but and I was absolutely fine. I, I had no issues. And then I think it was around 10 o'clock that evening, I started feeling a little bit weird. And then I started getting severe pains and then um, shivery and, you know, all this stuff. It lasted for about, I'd say, 24 hours, maybe. I was back to normal by about nine the next evening. Um, so while well, I had just like severe headaches the next morning, it did, the headaches didn't start until the morning um, and they lasted throughout the day. Although I, I was telling my friend yesterday that I had, I still had headaches yesterday, like very light, but I could feel it. Mm. Yeah. I mean, I, this is why I didn't want us to do the, this podcast on Thursday because I thought that those pains might kick in earlier. Um, there was obviously also the, uh, the added, um, thing that Manchester United was playing. Um, and I, I thought put the two together. It's, uh, it just makes sense to postpone it. So, um, I was almost correct with yeah. regards to your suffering, so not quite. But I'm, I'm glad you're over it. Hopefully, the the next dose will not be quite as problematic for you. Um, but yeah, I mean, so are you worried at all because of the the issues that seem to be emerging now? So I've read today that Ireland has also suspended use of the uh, AstraZeneca vaccination. Um, had you heard of that? No, I hadn't. What happened? 
Yeah, well, the same thing that they've uh, suspended it in other countries in, in the European Union as well, uh, to say essentially there appear to be issues with blood clotting. And um, yeah, so they've just suspended it temporarily so they can ca ca carry out further investigations is the uh, official line, I think. So, yeah, watch this space, basically. I, I mean, I read the other day that um, in the New Scientist that uh, the World Health Organization said that it doesn't cause blood clotting and it was fine. So that's interesting to that's interesting that Ireland's done that today. Um, but it, I mean, it was a question that was asked. I mean, there were there were two or three questions that were asked, like, obviously, do you have any flu like symptoms? Um, are you trying to get pregnant? And um, do you take any blood thinners? And of course, all those answers are no. Um, but that's interesting that Ireland's done that today. Mm. Well, at least that's what I read in The Guardian. So if there's something wrong, you can blame your old colleagues. Um, but I mean, this, this I, I do find this um, a, a bit concerning. On on the one hand, obviously, it, it you know it's something that could be a problem in in other vaccines, or perhaps it could uh, uh, it could be. Um, what's the best way to say it? Um, it could become more problematic once the second vaccination is also um, introduced. Um, but this also gives people who are essentially against the vaccine basically ammunition, doesn't it? It just it says that, look, see, I thought we told you so. Stay away. You don't know what this is. It's experimental medication. Well, it's I mean, it's not experimental medication because enough people have been um, tested for the vaccines enough for them to be approved. They wouldn't have been approved if they were if there was a real severe risk. I mean, they've done they've done all the sort of checks that you would do. And and don't forget, like everybody reacts differently to vaccines. I mean, you know, I've been talking to different people who have taken different vaccinations. My friend took the Astra one in Cyprus, and she had similar symptoms to uh, to me. My friend took the Pfizer one in America and she's had no symptoms, but she was told that she would get the she would get them in the second round. So it, it really does depend on on um, on, I guess, which one you're taking. And Johnson and Johnson, I've just I didn't realize that the Johnson Johnson one only requires one. hit. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, so I, I mean, I, I, I actually attended a talk. Um, that the UK Cyprus Medical Society organized with the this guy, his name is Dr. Kassianos, and I'm going to have to remember, he's the head of some, he's the head of the UK's public health, something, 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 um, find it and I will confirm it. But um, <clears throat> he was talking about the vaccinations and stuff and, you know, trying, trying to appease people. But I guess <clears throat> the truth is, and you and I spoke about this last time, you're not going to, well, no matter what happens, the people who are opposed to the vaccine are not going to change their mind. Um, <clears throat> that's just not going to happen. So uh, he is a, um, so Dr. Cassianos, George Cassianos, he is the lead immunization, um, national immunization lead and president of the um, British Global and Travel Health Association. Okay. Um, so anyway, he was the one who was giving the talk, and you know he he also he can you know he insists that it's safe. I mean, when I say that, I don't I really genuinely do not believe they put something in the market that wasn't safe. If you look at the numbers already in the UK of how many people have been 
vaccinated. And, and I'm using the UK as an example because the UK is predominantly using AstraZeneca and, of course, Pfizer. There's like, what, 15 million people to date that have been vaccinated in the UK. We haven't had that. We haven't really had that many adverse um, reports, which therefore indicates that, you know, from a sampling perspective, like it's generally safe. Now, of course, it's going to affect different people in different ways. And if somebody might, I, I wouldn't say that it's it's um, it's a it's causing a blood clot. And then a lot more needs to be investigated to identify why some people are suffering the blood clot. But it doesn't necessarily mean that it's linked to the vaccine. But again, I'm not a doctor, so I can't comment, you know, with any authority. But I would say that whatever happens, you're not going to change the anti-vaxxers opinions. These people Mm. are never going to they're not going to get I know people who are anti-vaxxers and they're just not going to get vaccinated. Mm. Okay, I mean, I'm 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 with you. I would take the vaccination. It's just uh, this does give some people pause for thought, and others who are already sort of uh, you know um, prejudiced against vaccinations. This uh, this more sort of emphasises whether we like it or not. As you said, you don't believe it's possible that they would put medication in, onto the market which was not well tested, um, but that's a trust thing, and you you trust. The system. I trust the system, um, but there are many who feel that that trust is lacking, um, and so therefore, it's as you said, it's difficult to to get people to budge from you know these entrenched positions. Anyway, okay, um, moving on. Last week you had an event. Um, would you, or was it the week before? Would you care to uh, enlighten me as to what this was about and how it went and what your role was and all of those wonderful things? Yeah, of course. So we hosted our um, annual World Ocean Summit, um, this time virtually because we couldn't do it on do it in person. Uh, it was really, really well attended. We had over 8,000 people register, 6,000 people participating throughout the week. It was a five-day event. And it started from 12-ish um, all the way through till about five, covering off um, different areas of how to accelerate the um, the ocean economy and looking at the different industries. So shipping, fishing, aquaculture, tourism, um, plastics, the circular economy, uh, and of course, energy. So it was a very, very well-received event. We had a number of distinguished um, speakers uh, participating in the discussion, anything from, you know, zero carbon emissions to um, for the shipping industry to, you know, um, removing harmful fish subsidies to um, how to basically um, feed the future um, and the role of aquaculture. Um, and of course, you know, innovation in, in, in plastics and, um, and recycling. So lots of lots of number of different topics. Great speakers, Ray Dalio, Ted Danson, who, my gosh, still is as handsome as ever. Um, and um, yeah, I mean, just it was just a fantastic event. Okay, and I mean, I, I read recently that um, there is an issue with regards to obviously overfishing in certain areas, and that one of the main, uh, should we say, perpetrators of the overfishing is actually uh, the European Union. And that some of the suggestions that the European Union has made with regards to um, applying quotas and so on doesn't go far enough. 
Um, do you see overfishing as something like a, a long term problem for uh, the aquaculture and um, you know, generally the, this particular economy? Overfishing is a really big problem because it means that um, it means that you're sort of diminishing the supply um, and you're diminishing the health of the ocean. Uh, and it's not necessary because you're you're not you're not sourcing for what you need. You're just oversourcing and you're concentrating on other on key um, areas that where you could have sort of distributed it more fairly. Um, the other thing, of course, is that um, there's a lot of illegal fishing that goes on. And that, again, is is very harmful to the industry and to people's livelihoods. So. Um, and of course, the health of the oceans again. Um, so, you know, all of these things, they need to be, we, we actually had a discussion around this and, and when it comes to, to the fish, um, you know, the discussion was, well, we're providing, you know, governments are providing subsidies, but maybe the subsidies are focused on the wrong areas and they need to kind of be focused on different parts of the supply chain. Um, uh, you know, obviously, we've got to sort of we've still got to look after the people that are receiving benefits because there's going to be losers. But how do you sort of overcome that? Now, this this particular discussion um, has been so this um, subsidy discussion, disagreement has been ongoing for about 20 years. It's a 20 year trade agreement negoti <laughs> negotiation. And last year was supposed to be the deadline. They were supposed to finalize it. All countries were meant to agree on it. WTO is overseeing it. So it's, it's under the WTO's, um, um, I guess, um, authority. And um, yeah, that didn't happen. And, you know, some would say, oh, it was because of COVID. But of course, there's, there's an unwillingness um, within, the, within, the, um, within different states. So they're hoping this is the year. Um, but it's very much, I mean, all of these issues, I mean, the problem is that with, with anything, it's like with the zero um, or um, the shipping industry becoming 50% carbon neutral by 2050, I think the, the ambition is. Some people say, well, we could do it much sooner and we can actually do it now and we could be, you know, 100% carbon neutral by 2050. It's, it's always the challenge of the will. And it's not will as in like they're just not interested in doing it. It's just that people are benefiting from things the way that they are and to do some of these things obviously requires innovation it requires investment and if you don't really know where the investment's coming for from then you know you're less likely to be supportive of it and of course there's industry pressure um and the impact on your overall economy so there's different issues and all of these things need to be addressed in their own way in order for everybody to come together and say, yes, okay, I agree with this. And like anything in life, nobody ever agrees on everything. Yeah, this is a, a big part of the issue. I mean, I've also read in, in numerous articles about how, uh, for example, China is supposed to have a, a limited fishing fleet, but actually their fishing fleet is about three times the size of what they've been officially permitted to, to, to have. Um, and uh, so the question, therefore, um, you know, is, is begged, even when uh, a settled uh, agreement is put into place, who's going to enforce it? Well, 
I mean, it would be, I mean, once, once, um, once all of these agreements, like with regards to the subsidies, once it's enforced through the World Trade Organization, it has to be, um, it has to be implemented by each state. Like that's, that's a given. Otherwise you're in violation of, of um, global trade agreements and you do get penalized for these things. Like it's not just, uh, you know, this is an agreement. And if you, if you, if you don't do anything about it, nothing happens to you. With regards to China, very they engage in a lot of illegal fishing, and um, it's a serious issue from all the way from West Africa to, um, um, to well, South America and um, yeah, the South Pacific. Obviously, I believe I've read um, these fishing fleets extend almost around the globe. Yes, yes, and they and they and they play and they completely do. I mean, it's 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 very difficult, and I'll say something. In the absence of true leadership, and I mean, when from America in the last four years, it was, you know, there wasn't really, there wasn't really an emphasis. I think that these are things that this administration is going to take seriously. You know, China's a really, really big player. It's very difficult knowing how to address, how to address these issues um, because they don't, they don't acknowledge that this is what's going on. So what, I mean, this is, again, for global leaders to negotiate and to come together and, and figure out a way to, to prevent this. But the I know that the South Americans, because I have a friend of mine, she runs an NGO in Ecuador. She's a lawyer. And I think she was a vo- former vice president. Can- yeah, I think she was former uh, former pres- uh, candidate for vice presidency. Um, anyway, she, she runs an NGO and she was actually, she shared with me a document that she shared with the government um, on this issue, uh, you know, because it, it does endanger the livelihoods of the local fishers, uh, fishermen in, in Ecuador and, and, and islands. Yeah, I mean, I, I've read that there is uh, an agreed international um, sort of zone around each country, which says they essentially, that water body, whether it extends a mile or two, I don't know exactly, um, it falls under the the regulation of the country. And then further out to sea, that sort of open international waters or, or that which is considered to be international waters. But even so, in these international waters, there are quotas that need to be observed by specific uh, participatory partners. Um, and um, it's very difficult to control, isn't it? Because you know these these areas of these bodies of water are vast, uh, and they, and it's impossible for them to be constantly overseen, isn't it? Yes, yes and no. I mean, well, this is I mean, this is again some of the biggest issues that um, that exists with the oceans because as you as you say, you're right. The in in the international waters, what goes on in the high seas, right, is unbeknown to most people. And um, and there's no authority. There's no there's no real authority. Like you have the international. Um, what are they called? Um, the Mar- maritime courts. Yes. I mean, you've got those you've got those types of UN institutions, but they're not in, they're, they, they don't do anything. They can't enforce anything. What? And in fact, there's a really good book. You've just reminded me there's a really good book by a guy named Ian Urbina. He's a former New York Times journalist. He gave up his journalism job um, to start reporting on what goes on in the high seas. So he actually wrote a book um, 
um, I will find the name and I will share it. But anyway, it was about all the illegal activities on the high seas, um, including things like, you wouldn't believe, I mean, abortions, where in some countries it's illegal, you can do that um, there, or um, the criminality, the piracy, all of those types of things. Like, you know, people don't, I guess people don't really hear or read about these things, um, but there's a lot of illegal activities that go on and we need to we need to better man them. Unfortunately, there the amount of investment that has gone into the ocean compared to space is negligible. Mm. Um, and I find that really interesting. I've always found it very interesting that we're so fascinated with what's outside our own planet rather than actually trying to figure out how to keep this planet healthy. Um, and and we need more data. So there's a lot of satellite imagery. The ships obviously collect a lot of data. Even the planes collect data. But it, this data is not shared very often um, or it's not accessible enough to all. To, um, and there's a lot of new technology that's coming out to help these things. But we, we there needs to be better collaboration. And I'm actually working on a project around sort of this around this particular topic of data, which is um how to sort of putting the case forward for more shared and open data. Um, now, there are people that are already doing a lot of great work, like there's this organization called Global Fishing Watch that works with um, people like Google who, who supply them with software um, to track, um, you know, to track fishing um, around the world. But there's still a lot of work to be done. And it's not there's nothing there's no clear solution at present, I would say. I mean, there are rules regarding transponders, but obviously some fishing fleets, you know, when they enter a certain area, they switch off their transponders. And so it's very difficult to track them thereafter. So there are unfortunately lots and lots of uh, deliberate ways of avoiding detection. Um, And the thing is, as you say, the seas suffer. Uh, Fishing supplies suffer. It's a shame to consider them supplies. Wildlife suffers greatly. Um, and yeah, the consequences will be felt by humanity, but unfortunately, you know, so far down the line that, um, you know, our grandchildren perhaps will suffer first. Um, and by then it'll be too late to change anything. Yeah, yeah, no, it's true. It's true. Uh, but, you know, there's a lot of there's a lot more work going on on, on on how to sort of create this sustainable what I what we what we keep saying, which is a sustainable ocean economy, um, because the blue economy is is huge like it it's it has it, its contribution to each country's economy well to um uh, to most countries economies is huge and um it still is it has a lot of growth potential but you know like everything in today's world everything needs to grow sustainably it's not about just accelerating growth you know at any cost it's about accelerating growth but in a sustainable way Mm. Yeah, I think this element measured growth is um, yeah, is a principle which we don't often find easy uh, for us to handle because uh, there is a certain eureka moment that you have with progression and innovation. And uh, unfortunately, it's difficult to, to, to hold that enthusiasm back, um, especially when you've got huge investment partners to satisfy at the same time. But yeah, okay, and this is this is definitely a conversation we're going to have again because um, yeah, I, I find it intriguing, uh, and uh, yeah, any additional uh, attention that can be brought onto it, even with my 
15 subscribers i think is more than uh you know more than necessary to to do so um yeah before right the i wanted to talk with you especially also about um international women's day and uh gender politics gender equality and so on um but as we're going to have a big discussion about that with uh ani as well so there'll be the three of us um maybe we can leave off the details but i've got two issues which i really would like to hear your opinion on um one of them is just perhaps your thoughts but um the, this uh extremely how can i say saddening case of sarah everard um that has uh you know has come out since uh, since early last week or so, i think it's monday evening that she went uh, she disappeared um people around you know, outside of the UK might not be familiar with uh, the fact that she appears to have been she left her friend's home and then she's somewhere along the line uh, met uh, this policeman who was perhaps off duty but uh, anyway kidnapped and appears well he's been accused of having kidnapped and murdered her um and obviously there's been an outpouring of anger and grief um frustration in the UK can you just perhaps explain the mood a little bit and you know, sort of tell me what uh, you know what people are saying about that well i mean i'll, I'll go by what i've seen on social um, and and I'll, i'll include myself in this i think most of us i mean most, my girls and i we were all like everybody all the girls were all been texting each other going my god poor girl poor girl and can you imagine and and some some of my friends are like well i would i would never have walked from um the park down to Brixton and and then others were saying yeah but you know probably and I was saying well she probably did that all the time and it wasn't probably an issue um and then my other friend said oh isn't it amazing that in London there's so many cameras that you can actually track people and so on i think most of us are just shocked um not just because it's a police i mean yeah it's all that he's a police officer but that i don't know that these you know that these things are still going on that somebody could walk um and targeted that way i mean we don't know what happened i don't understand what happened to be honest i don't understand how they identified this police officer what this role of this woman was whether she was known to him or not maybe that's why they knew who he was or maybe he was known to the police but i mean we still have to wait for the information but i think you know a lot of times and this is true with a lot of cases there was another case i read about the other day about a um an an ex army officer woman who was killed by her boyfriend and he had been arrested and or he'd been cautioned to stay away from her i can't remember the details and then he managed to get to her and he killed her and so on and what shocks me is that a lot of the times these suspects are known to the authorities and they still are able to just roam freely and you know um attack and kill and and do whatever it is that they do i for us it's just it's just to prove that there's not enough work being done and and then there was this interesting thing so the guardian published this un women uk based survey and that um surveyed young women in england and asked in the uk should i say and asked them whether they'd ever been sexually harassed and 97% of the respondents said yes yeah i read that unbelievably yeah it's it's more than disheartening i can only imagine how it must feel for the women because it's not 100% to be honest i think that 3% is an anomaly mm. um 
but I, I, I posted it and then this guy messages me and he goes, I don't believe that. And I was like, why? <laughs> I mean, no, I'm sorry. Are you a man of like, you have the authority to agree or disagree? <laughs> that can't be true. I don't know men like this and this and that and the other. And I said, what do you define as sexual harassment? And, you know, again, like it comes, the fact that we're having to educate people on the basics of what sexual harassment is, is very concerning. Um, now, I don't know what happened to Sarah. I don't under, I don't know how this, I mean, it's just awful what happened to her, whether, you know, she was walking and he was harassing her and he didn't leave her alone or someone that she had maybe met on an online app. I don't know. But, you know, in any case, it, it, it's sexual harassment is a really big issue in, in the UK, not just in the UK, globally. And the fact that men still don't realize that, like maybe you don't think that you're a sexual harass, um, harasser, let's say, but that doesn't mean that it doesn't exist. And it doesn't mean that other men aren't doing it. And by the way, your mates could be those people, but you just don't know that. I'll never forget... Um, we were in a club in Napa when we were younger. My friend's kid sister was with us. This guy, I'm, I'm not even joking, he literally tried to grab her crotch. And I didn't see this. My two other friends saw it and went ballistic. One of my friends was about to punch him. And we were all girls, by the way, but she was like, she's badass. And um, <laughs> about to punch him. His friend runs over and he's like, what's going on? What's happened? And then she's like, you? And she was like yelling. And he pulls his friend aside and he like, you know, like, Tom to get the fuck away and he was like I'm so sorry I'm so sorry I'm so sorry but you know that's just because we reacted he could have potentially done that walked away his friends wouldn't know any better and we would have been just like pissed off the whole night right and that's just the reality of the situation you don't know what your friends are like you assume your friends are might be as decent as you but they're not and that's the thing in bro culture or boy culture and even women the way women talk to men about other women We've got to be mindful because we're putting something out there that makes men think that it's that these things are okay. Like it's not okay to catcall. It's not okay to follow a woman when she's walking and tell her how beautiful she is, or you know, um, where's your boyfriend or whatever. You know, if I want to talk to you, I will talk to you. If I don't want to talk to you, walk away. Yeah, there should definitely be an, an element of rules of engagement, as it were. Okay, communicating that you are interested in somebody, I, th I think that should still be allowed. You know, you should still be able to compliment people, but there is exactly, um, there should be a cutoff point, and that cutoff point should be very, very soon in the conversation. Uh, if somebody doesn't respond positively to uh, your compliment or to your inquiries, uh, then as you say, walk away, because, you know, anything more than that is is discomforting to say the least you know and depending on your the language you choose uh, it could be a lot worse than that um but you know i'm obviously we have to wait so we don't know exactly what's happened um the the, uh, the situation will be clarified I, I what i found very curious was that in in the 70s when the yorkshire ripper was you know, doing what uh, he unfortunately did and for quite a long time. Uh, the police came out with a strategy and they said to, to women, basically, don't go out on your own. Yeah? Mm. And, and uh, the women's rights movement at the time, which was developing and growing in strength, that they refused to take this on board because they said, look, we've just started this fight. 
the last thing we're going to do is connect our independence to a man because the police said, you know, if you want to go to a bar, get a man to go with you. And um, when this uh, occurred with uh, Sarah, the, a, a similar statement came out that uh, I read by the police, which was, you know, we advise women not to go out on their own. And, and, and immediately I thought to myself, well, this, it's been 50 years since the, since the Yorkshire Ripper. And, you know, have we not progressed beyond this? As in, there must be more that can be said than simply telling women not to go out on their own. I I mean, I think that, um, it, you know, it's, it's interesting that you're saying this because I this is this is what I was saying to some of the girls. I was like, it's really sad. I feel like we're still we're still touching on the basics, like we're still having to justify to men that we're getting sexually harassed, that these these are serious issues. My my friend sent me, told me a story, a personal story. So I put something on, on Instagram after this conversation and I posted stories and I've had lots of different women um, respond to me like, um, you know, this one girl says I'm teaching my five-year-old and, you know, all, you know, what no means. And my other friend said to me, you know, I was in a club and this guy came over and he grabbed my boob. And um, I then, rep- you know, then he started th- um, dancing and he pulled his dick out and was like dancing around. I was like, whoa. <laughs> um and then she, when she told her friends, her friends, her, her guy friend turned around and said, well, why didn't you dance? Like, why weren't you around us? Like, it was her fault that this mm. guy sexually harassed her. I was like, no, that shouldn't be what your answer is. Your answer should be that's terrible. Absolutely. Not you should have done. You could have avoided that had you just been dancing around us. Um, so and, and 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 this may be going back to maybe your question, I don't know, but, you know, go to the pub with your friends, fine. But what about when you're going to the lavatories and some guy follows you, which, by the way, happens, um, or you're at the bar getting a drink and this guy's harassing you and your friend's chatting up another another woman and he doesn't realize this. You, you know, it, it, these are not these are these are not practical advice. And this is not the way that society should be men should do better we should be educating men on these things of course you're going to always have your um your perverse your your twisted your ill people like that this doesn't go away my mother says it takes all types to make this world but um you know if if more men were aware of the signs then maybe they would do more i i and i'll i'm gonna like i've had a lot of experiences but i'm gonna give one which um was the one that I don't know at the time made me so mad, and I was thinking about it yesterday, and I was like, it still gets me mad. I was on my way to Notting Hill Carnival, and you know this, the central line gets jam packed as you're trying to get down to um, Holland Park or anywhere near there. Mm-hmm. And um, I was on the central line. I got on, and I, was, I don't know why was I on my own. Oh, I think I was meeting my friends there. Yeah, I was meeting my friends there. Anyway, so I get on the central line. And it was completely rammed. I get on the, I like push my way in, you know, in this really rammed carriage. Um, yeah. And there's this older guy standing right next to me. And he was like very accommodating. He was like, come, come, come. So I just, I jumped on and I was like, thank you, thank you. I was like, you know, thank you. And then the train doors closed and he's like right in front of me. And then he's just like being too in my face. And then he tried to kiss me. So I was like, excuse me, like old, like nasty looking man. So I was like, excuse me. And um, I tried to push away and he kept coming closer. And by the way, the carriage is full of people. No one is doing anything. They're just staring. 
And I remember getting off the tube at the next stop and jumping out because there was nothing else for me to do. I couldn't stay on and nobody was telling him to get off. So I jumped off and I and I and I started walking because I thought, screw this, I'm not getting on the next tube. But it really pissed me off. And there's so many, you know, similar incidents, not just um, my own experiences, but other women's experiences. And people just stand around and do nothing. They're just staring. I'm like, what are you staring at? You should be reacting. Yeah, absolutely. I, I find that more than infuriating. I, I remember once I was in uh, Parma in the um, in the park. It was a wonderful day, and um, my oldest son Alexander was over there with us visiting, and he was riding his bike around around the park, and. All of a sudden, for, for no reason whatsoever, I just realized there's a, there's a guy lying down in the park and he's there are some you know movements in his midriff that I could see uh, from a distance, about 50 meters. And then I sort of panned to my left and I saw that there were two girls sitting there. It must have been, I don't know, early 20s. So this gentleman was obviously decided that, uh, that you know, the, a day in the park lying down on the green was the, was the you know the proper place for him to to masturbate. And and. I, I just lost it. You know, I, I just I ran after this guy, effing and blinding. He probably didn't understand a word that I was saying, um, but he got the gist of it and uh, sort of packed up and ran off. Um, but unfortunately, about 10 minutes before I'd seen him, uh, there was a, a carabinieri on horseback riding through the park. But when I when I actually went looking for a policeman, I couldn't I couldn't find one. And uh, yeah, these people, they they either get very, very lucky um, or they seem to simply know the movements of the authorities when it comes to evading them. Um, but yeah, I think you're right. There are too many examples of, uh, I'm no hero, by the way, um, but there are too many examples of, pe- of cases where people don't support others. And this is why I think what uh, Keir Starmer said the other day in, in, in Parliament was that you know, this is an issue that men must also be vocal in. Okay, when we talk about gender equality, that doesn't mean that we have to leave it to the women because it's their problem. It's our problem. Yeah, you know, it's it's a problem of humanity, and you know, I'm more than happy for, for for women to take the lead because I think in many many cases, not justice, they know best. But I definitely want to support, and that's why I make it uh, an issue of you know our conversations that we have. Um, and yeah, I think we should try to, you know, give people uh, opportunities to express themselves. And, and if there are if there are organisations out there which you know have um, you know plans, policies, or um, you know some kind of program uh, to help with this kind of you know barbarism, uh, then we should uh, g- you know give it uh, give it voice. I, I I just kind of, you know, and, and but, you know, again, it's like anything in this world, like, how do you how do you address like this is such an endemic issue? And I just don't know how you go about. I mean, if, look, imagine a country like the UK where I'd, I'd like to think I mean, we do have a high um, illiteracy level. but I'd like to think developed country, um, proper institutions and so on and so forth. And. We are still suffering from these problems. Now, you take a country like um, India, where, you know, the, the issues are just as bad. And you think to yourself, well, if England can't get it right, how do you expect India to get it right? Or how do you expect, um, you know, other countries? It, it, it's, it's, 
it really does concern me how how global this issue is and how bad it is, not just in in the developing world, but in developed countries as well. It's quite concerning. Absolutely, absolutely. And um, you know, before you were talking about data, you were talking about creating um, you know, global network or relationships with regards to uh, the, the um, blue economy. Uh, I think this is something which also requires global movement upon. Uh, and hopefully with uh, some of the, the horrifying stories that come out there, people like Sarah may end up, um, you know, inspiring a movement a bit like George Floyd did last year, albeit too late for them, uh, unfortunately. Okay, um, I, I did want to talk about another issue as well, which is related, um, but I, I don't want to, you know, go too far into your Sunday afternoon, but just very, very quickly, and then we'll have a better discussion of it perhaps with uh, when Ani's around as well. Um, but in, in the case of um, Megan, uh, I don't want to get uh, too deep into the issue because I think you know we will have better opportunity of doing it the next time we talk. But do you think the British press should know better? Uh, is that a rhetorical question? <laughs> yes, percent. I mean, Jesus, how can you be so tone deaf? Um, I. I was actually having this discussion with a colleague of mine because, um, you know, she was watching it and she said, oh, you know, I don't really read the Daily Mail. I don't really see it. But she's like, I watched that documentary. I didn't, I'll be honest, I haven't actually seen the documentary because I don't, as I've said, I think in the past, I don't own a TV. But um, I have seen snippets and I've read summaries um, and so on. I, I was saying to her that, you know, I guess even if you don't know the headlines or you don't read those papers, I was like, I find it very interesting that people don't understand or realize that um, how racist some of these um, papers are. And they may also not realize that their prejudices and discriminations are coming out on in words. But, you know, there's a lot to be said about think about how you use your words and the way that they've portrayed Megan as this sort of like. I don't know, gold digging, is she a gold digger? I don't know. How do they present her? Gold digging, um, fame, after fame, after something, whatever. Oh, let's highlight the fact that, you know, she's got a troublesome family. Um, let's, let's highlight, I don't know, it's just the way that they present her is just very, very strange, right? And, and I'd say that she and Kate, if you were to compare them English and American, like just from a lifestyle perspective, they don't really, their backgrounds are not that dissimilar. Like her father, okay, slightly dissimilar in the sense that, you know, she, Kate comes from, um, and her parents never divorced, but both of them had good educations as, as children. They were raised, you know, well, they went to good schools. Um, father was a, I think the father was a lighting director or whatever. I just don't understand like why there's so much, you know, there's so much emphasis on Megan's background and we don't really, and I don't even remember this happening when Kate was marrying Will, that that much emphasis was placed on her family's background. I think her parents run an events company. So it's not as if they're like, you know, top of the food chain, creme de la creme family of, of the United Kingdom. So it's just, it, it does feel, um, it does feel like she has been targeted 
relentlessly for a being an American. I think, you know, it's like that age old thing. They're just pissed off that he didn't marry an English woman and he went off with an American. Mm. I, I wonder, though, if it had been a, uh, a British princess and uh, it had been uh, Samuel L. Jackson that was being married into the British royal family, do you think it would have been quite as bad as this? Or do you think um, also the fact that uh, it's a woman uh, makes it even worse for the Brits to deal with? That's a really interesting question. I I think it would have been bad, but not as bad as this. Because men do get treated differently, um, whatever people say. Um, and I genuinely, you know, you, you're like a lot of guys are saying, no, that's bullshit. But I, I personally think that being a woman and being half black just puts her at such a major disadvantage compared to being a man and half black and marrying into um, into the royal family. Like, let's say if Eugenie was to marry someone. Yeah. But uh, look, I mean, I'll put it this way. Prince Harry dated a lot of like strange women before he met Meghan. And I would argue I was quite impressed with Meghan because I think of all those girls that he and and their families, by the way, had dubious backgrounds. One of them was the daughter of a South African businessman who had like, or Zimbabwean, I can't remember, who had strange links. Um, so he actually married someone who's decent, hardworking, does a lot of good charitable work, um, is an advocate. Um, he could have done a lot worse, you know, but he married somebody that is actually um, somebody who women can look up to. I don't see what's wrong with that. I, you know, I, I just think that he could have married a lot worse. Because yeah, maybe, maybe that's the problem. Maybe she's outspoken. Maybe maybe she is somebody that gives back who doesn't give in. Um, and that's what some you know, areas, uh, I guess, find difficult. They, they probably consider her a threat. Yes. Yeah, possibly. I mean, it, it still doesn't excuse it. I mean, Jesus. Absolutely yeah. not. Absolutely. It's, it's obvious. Having read the interview um, transcripts and seeing some of the clips, it's very obvious that the boy is still traumatized by his mother's passing. Um, and I think, you know, it, it's also not untrue that men do marry women that remind them of their mothers. Um, and I would argue that she's very much reminiscent of, of his mother, like, you know, just in style and, and, and the way she is. And she's outspoken. Um, she's American. You know, oh my God, because American women are very expressive and they, they talk about their emotions. And, you know, it, it's somewhat uncommon for uh, for Brits because we're, we're far more reserved. I mean, I always laugh about this, but all my foreign friends agree with me on this. Dating a British guy is like a nightmare because they're so emotionally retarded. They're unable to just <laughs> what is it that they want. They just cannot express themselves, you know, whereas other men, it's like they're so expressive. I mean, like sometimes the Greeks are a bit too expressive, but at least they're telling you what they want or what they're thinking. With an English guy, you never know where you stand with them. Like you're just you're constantly like, OK, what is this? You know, it's not just me who says it, by the way. I have asked many foreign people. No, please don't misunderstand my my uh, my laughter, nor indeed my silence. You've just in inspired yet another podcast, I think. 
Um, this is definitely an interesting topic um, and, and one which I'd like to have from at least a humorous perspective, yeah, because we, you know, we talk a lot about gender and un unfortunately there's so much uh, sort of negative, uh, so many negative issues to, to address that we don't often uh, remember that there are some fun issues, you know, this is sort of battle of the sexes is, you know, there is a, uh, there is a positive humorous approach to the differences that exist between, uh, between these two specific genders, let alone all of the others. Um, and so th this is a humorous form and I'd like to look at it more actually, because what you say is quite interesting, especially for somebody like me who has grown up more or less considering himself a, a British boy. Um, so, yeah, it'll be interesting for me to, to sort of retrospectively look at how open I am uh, yeah, in many ways. So, OK, Tatiana. Um, yeah, I, as I said, there are many, many issues that we've uh, we've discussed here that uh, I hope we can uh, go into in, in greater depth when you know we talk again. I think it's towards the end of March that we've decided, right? Yes, yes, I think so. Yeah. Okay. All right. Um, yeah. Thank you very much. Thank you that you were uh, you, you've dedicated so much of your Sunday to to this conversation as well. And uh, yeah, it's always uh, insightful uh, what you contribute. And I look forward to you know, many many more sessions where yeah you basically uh, tell me how it is. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. It's always a pleasure speaking to you, Sakojan. And um, yeah, I look forward to our follow-up conversation at the end of the month. Um, cool. Thank you. Have a lovely Ooh. Sunday. You too. All the best. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.